This week, the comics guys will explain Superman versus Muhammad Ali. Welcome back, everyone. Um, so everyone always has their own favorite comic book. Uh, and this week, we're going to talk about the comic that Darren uh, thinks or uh, refers to uh, often as the greatest comic book of all time. So Darren, why don't you tell us a little bit about where it came from? This is true. This is, in my opinion, the greatest comic book ever made. And it is called Superman versus Muhammad Ali. And obviously, I probably don't have to spend too much time explaining who Superman was. Uh, but Superman had a long history uh, up to this point, or the first 40 years or so of his life. Of- if you have any questions on who he is, I suggest one of our other fine podcasts or, uh, you know, the TV. And- right, exactly. He regularly met other famous people, right? Like the, the George Reeves Superman was a guest on the Lucille Ball show. Uh, Bob Hope and Jerry Jerry Lewis each had their own comics that were published by DC, and Superman would show up over there and meet them. Uh, Superman met uh, President Kennedy. There was even a comic in the 60s in which Superman met Antonio Roca, who was, in fact, the heavyweight champion of the world at this time, a wrestling champion, uh, Hmm. and teamed up with him to, you know, have an adventure or whatever. So this this was a joke that DC could keep going back to over and over. Uh, in 1977, DC and Marvel had published a huge, huge comic between them together. It was the first time they had worked together in a very long time in which Superman met and then teamed up, fought and then teamed up with Spider-Man. And that was a huge seller. It was a smash hit, uh, in 1977. And so it was very clear that in 1978, they needed to have a follow-up, right? They were going to do another big Superman digest sized summer comic it was going to cost a dollar which was a lot of money for a comic back then Mm. and it would be a big special event and so they had to kind of figure out who superman was going to meet this time what would be the big event for this and we'll talk later about like how they came up with this but basically they settled on he will meet the heavyweight boxing champion of the world muhammad ali now if you're not that familiar with Muhammad Ali, presumably you've heard of him, like you've heard of Superman, but if you're not that familiar with his career, we'll kind of cover it pretty quickly. His name was Cassius Clay. He was born January 17th, 1942 in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh was a boxer from the time he was a kid. Uh at 18 years old, went to the 1960 Olympics and won the gold medal uh as the in heavyweight boxing and then turned pro immediately after that. Um he converted to Islam in 1961, just at 19 years old, and this was relatively unusual at the time. Got some press for that. He hires uh, a team of trainers and that sort of thing, led by a guy named Angelo Dundee, who would go on to be extremely famous as a trainer, um, to you know, kind of keep him in shape. And he hired a corner man named Bundini Brown. And while Ali himself was an incredibly funny person and just lively and charismatic and sparkling in you know in interviews and that sort of thing uh, that that made him much more popular than the typical boxing uh star right was not a not an industry that was known for having uh clever people in it telling funny jokes but bundini brown was kind of his comedy sidekick and the guy who wrote a lot of the stuff that muhammad ali said they became best friends 
Uh, Bundini Brown is the guy who wrote that poem, Float Like a Butterfly, Sting Like a Bee. Uh, you know, all of that stuff came from Bundini Brown. Muhammad Ali was the one who said it, but he didn't write it, right? Um, and so they were kind of, you know, like this great comedy pair uh, in early in his career. Muhammad Ali wins the first, or Cassius Clay wins the first 19 of his fights. He goes 19 and 0. And within a couple of years, he is ready to fight the champ. The champ is Sonny Liston at this point. Uh, and he fights Sonny Liston in February of 1964 and beat the snot out of him, just clobbered him uh, and became the new champion. He is the second youngest world champion ever. He is the youngest to win by beating the previous champion. Floyd Patterson, who was the youngest champion ever, uh, won a tournament when Rocky Marciano retired. Marciano didn't fight anybody for it, so they just kind of like let all of the top contenders fight in a tournament. And Floyd Patterson won that. So he was, in fact, the youngest champion ever. But Ali, or Cassius Clay, once again, is the, the, the youngest guy to actually win uh, a championship by beating the champion. Um, in the aftermath of that fight, Ali famously said to reporters, I am the greatest. And that became, uh, you know, kind of like a national catchphrase, right? Like of, the, of, of this young kid who was just so full of himself. Uh, and was so fascinating and willing to talk and be quoted on just about anything. He changed his name to uh, a couple of months after he won. While he was affiliating himself, he had he had converted to Islam a few years before, but he affiliated himself with the Nation of Islam, which was an African American, uh, you know, nationalist group basically uh, at the time. Uh, and so he first changed his name to Cassius X. Um, which is the same process, for example, that Malcolm X went through. Malcolm X joined the, the Nation of Islam. Uh, but he decided he still didn't care for that name. And so he changed his name again to Muhammad Ali. Uh, and as the champion, he drew obviously a great deal of scrutiny and interest in the Nation of Islam uh, by the public media, most of whom were not that familiar with that organization and some of the stuff that they were up to. And the ones who did know it only knew it through... Malcolm X's affiliation with them. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but uh, so he, he, he uh, becomes very close with uh, the head of the Nation of Islam, who is a guy named Elijah Muhammad. The Nation of Islam itself was founded in Detroit in 1930 by a guy named Wallace Fard Muhammad. Uh, and he had an assistant. His assistant was Elijah Muhammad. Wallace Fard Muhammad disappeared mysteriously under mysterious circumstances in 1934. Nobody knows what happened to him. Uh, it is the official story of the Nation of Islam that he went, was ascended directly into heaven uh, because mm. he was such a good um, Muslim. Um, there are a large number of people who believe that, in fact, Elijah Muhammad either killed him or had him killed. Uh, but that is, you know, as a, that, that is only, uh, that has never been proven by anybody, right? Um, so the, the organization became much better known when Malcolm X converted to Islam in prison and then came out, his name was Malcolm Little before that, uh, changed his name to Malcolm X and became kind of the public spokesman, uh, of the organization, uh, during the time, you know, obviously of the great civil rights movements of the sixties, um, Malcolm X. Uh, eventually reaches a point where he and Elijah Muhammad are no longer getting along. Uh, Malcolm X uh, leaves the Nation of Islam and is shot 
by a couple of people who turned out to be National Nation of Islam members. It is once again believed, perhaps, that uh, more people connected to the Nation of Islam were perhaps involved in his murder, uh, in his assassination, but only two people have ever actually been, uh, you know, convicted of that crime, and they were both Nation of Islam members. Um, the next kind of like major uh, person to step forward uh, as a, a public spokesperson for the organization was Louis Farrakhan. Um, and he, you know, sort of took over Malcolm X's spot as the, you know, kind of like the, the primary public figure for the nation. And then Muhammad Ali, you know, kind of like is, is in, in there at this time, right? Like he is probably the most famous person to be affiliated with this organization. Uh, and when Elijah dies in 1975, his son comes in to be the new head of the Nation of Islam and Louis Farrakhan leaves because he wasn't chosen. And they kind of have the schism in the organization and Louis wins, Louis Farrakhan wins uh, and basically kind of like takes over the, even though his group was the spinoff from it, it winds up being the far more powerful uh, with great many more members than the leftover group from the, uh, the, the Muhammad family, right? Um, and so by 1977, 78, uh, Farrakhan is in fact the head of the Nation of Islam. Um, by that point, Ali has started to kind of wander away. He's, he was never that close to Farrakhan personally, and he was originally a supporter of Wallace when that schism began, but he, uh, you know, when Wallace kind of like lost Ali, sort of lost interest in the organization. Yeah. Anyway, uh, in the, going back to the 60s with this, now Muhammad Ali is the world champion starting in 1964. He forms a company with a bunch of Nation of Islam members called uh, Main Bout and starts doing his own promotion, uh, you know, like wanting to be in control of his own career. The world, but there are two different organizations running boxing at the time. There's the ABA and the WBA. The American Boxing Association and the World Boxing Association. In 1966, the World Boxing Association says, you know what, you're hanging out with this Nation of Islam group. They're pretty controversial. We're not such big fans of that Malcolm X guy for this. Uh, unless you denounce the Nation of Islam, we're going to take away your title and give it to somebody else. And Ali says, uh, no, I'm not doing that. So the WBA strips him of their part of the title. And they give it to a guy named Ernie Terrell, who was a contender, you know, kind of like the, one, the next best guy, basically. The ABA says, you're still our champ, champ, you know, for this, so you've got that title. So Ali says, okay, I will fight Ernie Terrell, and I'll reunify the title, <laughs> right? What are you, you going to do about that, smart guy, <laughs> you know? So he sets up a fight with Ernie Terrell for this. At that point, the draft board for the Vietnam War, the military draft board, uh, reclassifies uh, the guy that they still have listed as Cassius Clay as his name for us, you know, reclassifies him and says, uh, you know, you are in fact uh, going to be 1A, your number's coming up, we're going to draft you and send you off to Vietnam to fight. And Ali announces he is not going to go. Uh, so were he, those things related or was that just, because the way you said it, it sounds like those things were like related. I don't, I don't think any, I don't think the ABA or WB had any the military to do anything that's probably giving them too much credit mm -hmm. uh certainly they took full advantage of that fact certainly you know um the the military was certainly interested because ali had spoken out 
already about it. Like they're, you know, classifying him to, you know, say we're, we're taking you was probably also not an accident, but that's not, you know, there's no, it's not really a conspiracy. Right? Another thing uh, that I was just confused about the WBA, when they just say to Ernie Terrell, don't accept that fight. Isn't that like, they, they certainly could have, but it never got that far. Right. Oh, like right. he was, he was talking to Terrell directly and saying, right. let's have a, let's have a match and we'll unify the title one way or the other. Right. So the WBA certainly could have said, even if you beat Ernie, we'll just give it to somebody else. Right. Mm -hmm. For this. But Ali was going to make them do that. Right. They were going to have to go through the embarrassment of having to do that. Sure do multiple it. times. Right. Uh, so Ali has, you know, as a member of the Nation of Islam, is against the Vietnam War. The whole organization was and says publicly, if you draft me, I'm not going. I will resist the draft. I'll run away. I'll do whatever. Right. I'll go to jail. Um, and he says famously uh, that uh, while he's been mistreated all across the country by white people for this, no Viet Cong ever called me the N-word. They're not my enemy. Right. White people are my enemy. Uh, and so, you know, this becomes kind of a, a one of the rallying cries for people who are against the Vietnam War. The U.S. at that point, once he has said this stuff, uh, you know, kind of like come out and said this, refuses to sanction him. They say, uh, it's, you can't box anywhere in the country. Right now, you are too controversial. Uh, you know, we don't know what you've got going on here, but it's, we, we're, we're not letting you. So he goes on to fight several uh, non-title bouts, right? Like he's not allowed to put the championship up for grabs. He's still listed as the champ, but he fights like some basically some exhibition fights in Canada and Europe because the U.S. Uh, federations won't sanction him to fight. They won't say he's okay to fight. Uh, and while he does this, he is then let back into the country when kind of the, the controversy goes down a little bit uh, and goes to Houston to fight Ernie Terrell for this and beats him. So he winds up, now he's got both titles for this. Um, in 1967, with all of this controversy still going on, the government has given him every opportunity to recant, to take that back and say that he will in fact fight, uh, you know, or will in fact accept being drafted. He says, no, I won't. And his boxing license is suspended and he's charged with draft evasion. He appeals. He does not, he goes to court. He doesn't actually, he goes to jail for like a few weeks while the appeal is pending. But once his appeal goes out, he gets out of jail. But he is not allowed to fight from March of 1967 to October of 1970. That's like three and a half years of his absolute physical prime. He just was not allowed to box. Does he, he, does he continue to box in like other countries or no? He, he, no, he did not actually. Oh, okay. he, he stayed in shape and became kind of like well-known as a symbol for resistance against the war, uh, but was not, uh, you know, was not allowed to actually fight until October of 1970 when he got back into the ring for the first time. Um, he's still under appeal at this point, right? He doesn't have, the titles have been stripped from him. Uh, they've been given off to, to somebody else. Um, in fact, uh, uh, George Frazier has become the champ at this point. So still under appeal, he comes back in the ring uh, and says, uh, I'm going, I'm going to fight, uh, uh, Joe Frazier, uh, George Frazier in, um, what is referred to at the time as the fight of the century. And it was out of the U S right. Uh, so they have this famous fight for this, which Frazier wins. It's Ali's first loss ever. 
And it was like this great battle. It was, you know, like one of the great legendary boxing matches of all time. But in the end, Frazier wins and fights him off. Within a couple of months after that, Ali's conviction was overturned. So he is now back fighting full time. And there was some people who were saying, well, geez, no wonder he lost that fight to Frazier. He hadn't fought really in almost four years. He was out of shape. He wasn't, you know, now that he's back in it and fighting regularly, he should get another shot. While that's going on, while he's having a couple more fights, uh, Frazier loses his title to George Foreman. So Frazier's not even the guy holding the belt at this point. In 1974, Ali and Frazier now are both contenders for Foreman's title. And they fight again a second time for this. Ali beats him the second time uh, to get another shot, to get a shot at the title again. And in October of 1974, in Zaire, uh, he fights George Foreman as a four-to-one underdog. Foreman is this terrifying monster of a boxer at this point for this and is generally regarded that he's going to beat the crap out of Ali, who's half his size, it looks like anyway, um, in a fight that was legendarily promoted as the, the Rumble in the Jungle. Um, Ali wins. Ali comes from behind. He invents the rope-a-dope as a tactic, basically, and beats Foreman, who exhausts himself fighting him. It's uh, also uh, weird to think of Foreman as like a uh, as like a boxing like uh, you know strongman. That's not a clown on TV selling his grills. Yeah, just I've yeah. Ne- I never I never lived through him as the. Uh, there was a there was a time he was the most terrifying. He, he was he was much scarier than Tyson. Right, oh, wow. he was just. Okay. People thought he was a monster that he just couldn't be beat. You know, when you watch, if you watch Rocky Three, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like the Mr. T's character for it, a lot of the stuff that he, that he does is stolen from George Foreman. Okay, right. Good to know. Um, so then he fights Frazier one more time. Now that he's the champ, he gives Frazier another fight at the title, which is the Thrilla in Manila, uh, and that's in October '75. And Frazier uh, Ali wins that one barely again. Like Frazier nearly kills him uh, in this kind of like one more glorious fight basically. So over the course of these four years, four and a half years, Ali is in four of the most famous boxing matches that have ever happened. Right. Mm-hmm. That it just, is just a legend of the ring. Um, and he's won three of them, right. He's now beat Frazier two out of three times. He beat Foreman. He's the champ. He is, he's the guy. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's at this point that the discussion of Superman versus Muhammad Ali starts right, of whether this is going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he is now set up, uh, for, this is supposed to happen in 1977 for this, and he is uh, represented by Don King, who has only recently become famous as Muhammad Ali's promoter, right? King was not well known before Ali. Um, King was a was a born in 1931 um, and had been in and out of prison for a couple of different crimes uh, early in his life. Uh, He shot a man who was trying to rob the gambling house that he ran in 1954, uh, but got off for that as justifiable homicide. In 1967, got into a fight with one of his employees uh, who owed him $600 and basically curb stomped him, kicked him in the head while he was down and killed him. And he went to prison for that for about four years for non-negligent manslaughter because he didn't try to, he wasn't intending to kill him. He was in a fight with him, um, but he kicked him in the head so, so hard that he died. <laughs> so when King gets out of prison in 71, now he's 40 years old and he's just spent four years in prison, he gets into the boxing promotion business. 
And in Cleveland, he winds up working with an existing promoter uh, who has one of Ali's fights to promote, right? Like during the time that he's trying to build back up after losing the fight of the century to Frazier in 1971, uh, he winds up fighting some schmo in Cleveland. Don King does the promotion for this. King and Ali meet each other, decide they get along great. Uh, Ali thinks King is a riot. King has found the guy that he can, you know, promote for this and goes on to promote all of the rest of those fights. You know, it's Don King who names the Rumble in and he names the Thriller in Manila and he gets all of the press for this sort of thing. And so Ali becomes a celebrity really unlike any boxing champion to that point, right? right? And he will eventually, King will then eventually go on to be a promoter for a whole lot more great boxers, but it's Ali that he starts with. You know, he winds up being the promoter for Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson, Larry Holmes, Roberto Duran, et cetera, et cetera. He promotes the Jacksons on their world tour uh, and hangs out with mobsters. He's a friend of the Gotti's. Yeah, you know, he's, he's just this fascinating guy. But anyway, so it's King uh, that is Ali's guy at this point, as far as like kind of not really managing his career because, you know, the, that's kind of exactly who was doing that remains kind of debatable. But he was definitely the guy promoting it, guy kind of like making decisions where he was going to fight, how they were going to promote it. And a comic book seemed like a great place to promote whatever fight he was going to have next. So mm -hmm. um, who exactly came up with the idea of the comic? It's still kind of debatable. Julie Schwartz at DC said it was his idea. Julie Schwartz was kind of famous for saying that about ideas that weren't really his, right? So that's not really something that you can rely on. Uh, Jeanette Kahn, who was the publisher at the time for this, said it was Don King's idea. But on the other hand, Don King was in the room when he said that, right? So, you know, she may have just been being diplomatic about that. But nevertheless, they agree, this is a great idea. This is going to be our big summer marketing comic we're gonna will be our big push we'll get a big name artists on this and everybody um and you know get get permission to do this so uh they choose denny o'neill and neil adams to be the writer and artist for the comic and they both of them get to travel they go to visit uh ali's training camp and the catskills so they can get an idea of how ali talks and kind of like pick up the rhythm of it and that sort of thing um, Adam says, I will do the art on the interior for it, but the cover is going to be a pain in the ass. It's going to be huge for it. I don't have time to do that as well. And so Joe Kubert gets the job to do the cover. Kubert draws the basic idea of a cover and everybody hates it. They're <laughs> like, no, that's, this is boring. This is, this is a terrible idea. Um, you know, we need a better cover than this. And, uh, Adams kind of takes the job back and says, fine, I'll do it. You know, I'll go ahead and draw this. So they have to now get permission on everything that they're doing in this comic from both Don King, who is cool with all of this happening, and from Elijah Muhammad, who is, of course, Ali's spiritual advisor, right? They need to, he's not going to, you know, just like sign off on anything that makes Ali look bad or look comical or look foolish or anything. So they decide we've got to go uh, actually talk to Elijah Muhammad. And so Elijah Muhammad flies them out. They were sent copies of the script for this, and O'Neill and Adams actually fly to Chicago to the Nation of Islam offices 
to meet Elijah Muhammad and kind of like present him with the sketches of the script. And famously, he looked at him for about five minutes and said, yeah, this is fine. <laughs> like all the work that they went through to, you know, like set this up. It's like, ah, we you totally didn't need to fly out here for this. I could have approved these over the phone. That would have been fine, <laughs> whatever. So finally, they have it all set up. Uh, so O'Neill and Adams kind of like co-plot the book, co-plot this comic. And then O'Neill writes the original treatment for it. Then he had a bunch of other issues kind of come up his, in his personal life at the time. And he had to step aside from the project, having basically written the plot, like the five-page version. of it. And Adams has to take over um, and wound up actually scripting it as well as drawing it all the way through. So he, though he was working from Adams' Uh, from O'Neill's plot, it's Neil Adams who did all the dialogue, who did all, the, you know, like put it all in order. Uh, inked by Dick Giordano, who was the uh, editor-in-chief at DC at the time for this, uh, and of course, you know, like one of their top inkers besides, and his ink on Adams' work is astonishingly good. So they make basically this incredibly gorgeous-looking comic book full of some Neil Adams' best work. If you're at all familiar with Adams as an artist, this is seriously, I know it sounds ridiculous, but this is where his best work is, right? Mm -hmm. So they wind up with a comic book and it's a pretty crazy comic book. Uh, it begins, the story begins with uh, Muhammad Ali has come to Metropolis. Um, he's doing a, you know, some sort of a promotional thing with local kids uh you know and so he's out on a basketball court in metropolis uh shooting hoops and perry white sends clark and lois off to interview him you know to find out what he's what he's what he's up to and jimmy olsen to take some pictures so they're all there lois is interviewing him clark is just kind of standing around being useless and jimmy olsen's taking pictures and everything and uh an alien materializes in the middle of the basketball his name is rattlar and he is uh, of the, the, his people are called the scrub. <laughs> and they have been studying Earth from afar. And they think Earth is pretty warlike and potentially dangerous. Uh, you know, they're getting ready to go out into space and everything. And it's, we're not sure we, we want that. Uh, so I've brought an armada of spaceships and we're going to destroy the Earth unless your champion proves the, the worth of your species by beating our champion in a physical fight and you know uh, uh muhammad ali kind of calls him on that heck that's, that's ridiculous why, why should we even listen to you so to prove that he's serious he has his ships fire several missiles at the earth which clark kent has to like you know take off he sees that it's happening slips away turns into you know changes into superman flies off and uh, manages to save the city of St. Louis, which was like the missiles were headed for first and takes all Superman can do to stop these missiles. And while he is stopping the missiles from, stop, from hitting St. Louis, a bunch of them also hit an uninhabited island and blow that island off the map, right? Like they just destroy it to show mm -hmm. that they're capable of doing this. So Superman flies back to talk to Ratlock and says, fine, you know, this is, this is insane, but we'll go ahead and do it point me towards your uh, champion and I will beat him up and we will be fine. Muhammad Ali says, hang on a second. Superman's not even from Earth. How is mm -hmm. he our champion for this? I'm our champion. I'm the heavyweight champion of the world. And Superman is kind of like, well, you know, that, that's great and all. Thank you, Muhammad Ali. And we are all big fans of yours and everything, but I'm Superman, 
right? <laughs> you know, I jump over buildings and, you know, the Ben Steele and everything for us. So thank you for your offer, but I, I'm sure I can handle it. And Ratlar is kind of entertained by the fact that there's two people signing up for this fight and says, uh, well, you're going to have to have a fight yourselves to determine who's going to be your champion. And all of these fights are going to be on our home planet, which is called Bodes. And Bodes has a red sun. So Superman's not going to have any powers anyway. Mm. And now suddenly Superman's kind of like, well, you know, I'm still the guy for this, but now this is looking like a much, you know, much bigger problem. So uh, Ratlar says, you've got 24 hours to get ready. And then we're going to take you off to Bodes and you'll fight. We're going to leave our ships here in orbit, threatening the planet. And we'll take you all off to Bodes and you two can have your fight to settle it. Uh, and so... Superman and Muhammad Ali are like, well, I got Muhammad Ali says, I got to teach you to box. If you wind up winning this, if you get this gig for this, you need to know how to fight. But I, I can't teach you to fight in 24 hours. That's a, I've spent my whole life learning. So Superman takes him to the Fortress of Solitude and they activate like a time warp device that makes time go slower in this room. Right. So mm -hmm. the 24 hours that they've got is like two months in right. this room. And then Muhammad Ali then spends several pages showing Superman how to box. And they are some of the most beautiful pages ever made, right? This is Neil Adams at his absolute best, just illustrating Muhammad Ali giving Superman boxing lessons, <laughs> you know? And he goes through this whole rigmarole where he's, he's saying how, you know, like, it's like, it's like a sentence, right? It's like a, 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 you know, a jab is a question, right? Like I'm trying to find out, hey, what have you got? You know, kind of thing. And uh, it's just beautiful and astonishing. Ratlar, of course, figures out what's going on. He detects the existence of this device and says, foul, you guys are cheating. Uh, you know, your, your Superman now has to go fight right now instead of finishing his training. They only get like a few days of like fake training. there. So the two of them are taken off to this alien planet and there are, you know, thousands of other planets that are watching this on space TV. Um, and Superman fights Muhammad Ali in, a, in an actual fight. Uh, and of course, Ali is a much better boxer and clobbers him, beats him, you know, terribly, but Superman won't fall down. Even though Superman can't really put up that much of a fight against him, he is so determined that even as his face is getting all swollen and he's got a black eye and he's got bruises all over him for it, um, and Ali keeps hitting him and he will not fall down. Ali turns to the referee and demands that the referee declare a technical knockout because I'm not going to hit this man anymore, right? I don't care what you say. I don't care what you're doing for it. I refuse to punch this man anymore. They turn around and look back at Superman, and that's when he collapses, mm. having been hit so many times from this. He finally falls down. And uh, so Ali, you know, like the, the aliens kind of like come into the ring to take him away, and Ali away and says, get off of him. You know, this is Earth's greatest hero. I'll take care of him. And kind of like scoops him up himself. And... Uh, takes him out of the ring, you know, to take care of him. And he demands that this man has fought so well that he deserves to be sent back to earth to recover. Right. Um, so, okay. That's what seems to have happened. Now Superman has been taken off on a spaceship. Um, and uh, you know, it's Muhammad Ali left to fight the champion of the scrub, who is this giant guy called Hunya. And Hunya is like nine feet tall green skin, all muscles and everything. He gets ready to fight. The goddess Pallas Athena appears at this point to make sure that this, this fight is so important now with billions and trillions of people watching it that the rules of fair play must be implanted in their brains to make sure that this is a fair fight. Hmm. 
And we then cut to those famous shots of like now everybody, of course, watching this fight is Muhammad Ali is fighting for the life of the earth against this giant. Um, and so he's, Hunya is way stronger. Ali hits him several times, uh, you know, and is kind of dancing around him. But Hunya is so much stronger that he knocks Ali down a couple of times. And it looks bad, right? We're not sure that Ali's going to be able to pull this off. Meanwhile, it is revealed that this was all a plan that Superman and Ali had worked out together. And so Ali, uh, while Ali is fighting this guy, Superman was put on the ship like he was about to be dying, uh, but was not as close to dying as he thought, disguises himself as Bundini Brown for this, <laughs> while Bundini Brown is pretending to be Superman in like his hospital bed. Right? <laughs> uh, Superman sneaks off the ship, goes out, and he fights the scrub armada at Earth. And so he blows up most of the scrub ships, right? Like he flies through a whole bunch of them in one planet, in one panel, just kind of like destroying 20 of them at once. But they have really impressive guns and one of them shoots him and a lucky shot kind of like leaves him hurt. So he's floating in space. And we think, oh no, you know, Superman has been through so much with Muhammad Ali beating the crap out of him before. And now, you know, now this, we're not sure he's going to survive. Meanwhile, Ali kind of gets a second wind in the fight and manages to win. He beats Hunya by knocking him out of the ring. He punches him so hard that he goes flying into like the third row of seats, right? Mm -hmm. At this point, Ratlar sees what Superman has done and realizes, you know, Superman is out there destroying my fleet for this. He, che he cheated. Somehow I've been tricked by this. I don't care who won. I'm going to blow up Earth anyway because you people just can't be trusted. Mm -hmm. uh, and Hunya gets up out of the crowd, you know, from where he's been knocked and we'll have none of this, right? He's like, uh, you know, this man beat me fair and square. And then he promptly beats up Ratlar, <laughs> deposes him and becomes the new king of the scrub. And the first thing he does is say, as, as the new king, is say, Earth is awesome. You guys are the greatest fighters I've ever met. You're totally free. We will never bother you. So at the close of the, of the, of the comic, we are now back in Metropolis. Superman still has like a black eye, a couple of shiners and some bruises and everything. Um, and he's shaking hands with Muhammad Ali, having returned him to the basket. And he's about to leave. And Ali says, hang on a second, Superman. And he takes out of his pocket Clark Kent's glasses that he had left behind when he changed into Superman to go off to you know deal with the missiles in the first place. And he hands them to Superman and says, I don't know how these fool anybody. <laughs> and Superman is kind of like, Muhammad Ali has figured out my secret identity. This is a problem. You know, like, do I, do I have to work with this? And instead, Ali kind of like hugs him. And then the two of them put their, you know, fists up together. And Ali says, Superman, we are the greatest. And that's the last panel of the comic, of like literally the greatest comic book ever. <laughs> Good ending. Isn't it? It's the greatest ending. It's the greatest yeah. story. So famously, this cover of the of this comic has is nothing but celebrities from the 70s as far as the eye can see right like adams has put on the cover a million famous faces not only like everybody from the dc universe right like batman and aquaman and everybody are there but most of the staff of dc comics is there and like every famous celebrity of the 70s is there, right like jimmy carter and rosalind carter are there and gerald ford and his wife are there and a million actors that you know, like all of the sweat hogs and, you know, Welcome Back Cotter, all of those guys, uh, you know, Woody Allen, all of these people are 
you know, there at the fight, right? There's, there's, there's a, a guide to the picture on the inside front cover of the issue, and there's 171 names of wow. people who were there. And so this demented uh, cover, basically, gets turned in, and Jeanette Kahn says, did you ever get permission from any of these people to put them in your, in your cover? And Adam's like, no, of course not. Why would I do that? <laughs> and she says, holy crap. Now we have to call all 171. Well, we don't have to call Batman. He's okay with it. You know, like all these other people here for it. We need to get permission to use their identities, uh, to use their pictures. And of course, the vast majority of people that they call do say yes. But a bunch of people said no, you know, of, of those 170, whatever, because it was 190 something originally, right, for it. Um, and so many of the pictures on the cover were redrawn with like mustaches and glasses on them to cover up who they actually were. And if you take a look, you can in fact see John Wayne and uh, the Fonz both have like beards <laughs> to like cover up their faces who they are, but it's really obvious who they were, right? Yeah, I've got a reprint of them uh, <coughs> sitting on my shelf over there. And it's it's very, very obvious the ones who are just, you know, it's not uh, it's not Henry Winkler, it's Harry. Right, Winkler. yeah, exactly, whatever the, exactly. They changed the name and they just gave him a beard and it's, you know, yep. we just cover it up, that's fine. We're not gonna, we're not gonna redo the cover. It took five years to make this cover. Yeah. So with all of these delays, right, between having to wait for permissions from everybody and all of the extra time it took Adams to actually draw this cover and then to get permissions for all of these covers, the book was scheduled to come out in September of 1977. It did not actually ship until March of 1978. In February of 1978, Ali was fighting a warm-up fight. It wasn't even supposed to be like a major fight for him. Everybody thought he was going to win against this guy nobody had ever heard of named Leon Spinks. And Leon Spinks shocked the world by beating him. So at the time that the comic actually came out, Muhammad Ali wasn't even the world champion and he had lost the belt. Uh, the good news is by six months later, seven months later, he got a rematch and he beat Leon Spinks and he won the title back a third time. But uh, that, you know, at the time that the comic came out when all the press and everything around it was happening, Ali wasn't even actually the, the, the legit champion. Lost it to things. But the comic was a smash hit, very successful, um, with all of those kind of 70s digest titles that uh, DC put out. They kept putting out these big summer dollar-sized uh, issues. They had Batman versus the Hulk and the X-Men versus the Teen Titans and a bunch of other stuff, but this was right there with them. They do Amalgams eventually, which is one of the yep. comics that sticks in my mind. Absolutely. Like, we should do an episode on albums. Uh, so there were, there were two editions, two new editions, new versions of the comic that came out in 2010. The main book has been through seven print runs already for it. So it's one of DC's all-time biggest-selling comics. It's behind Watchmen. It's behind a couple of others. It's behind Dark Knight. But it's not, I mean, once you kind of like take things of that size out of the way, it's probably the biggest-selling ordinary single-issue comic that DC ever had. Wow. Well, and that's the story of how it got made. It's very, uh, you know, it's a fascinating uh, singular piece. There has never been anything like it before or since. And yeah. it's a work of beauty. Yeah, I definitely appreciate it more than I know some of the history behind it. Um, yeah. I, I did not know a lot of that stuff about uh, King, honestly. Um, yeah, he's an, he's an interesting guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, well, uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us. Uh, Absolutely. Again, thanks for coming out. Yeah, I've been Steve Tasker. And I'm Darren Watts. 
uh, have a good night.